Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Just look at Quibi for a second. Nobody in Hollywood believed in it. Welcome to episode 22 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails and what led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Quibi. On October 19th, 2020, Quibi, the much-hyped streaming service that launched only a few months prior, announced a pivotal change. They would be launching their premium short-form content on select smart TVs like Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and Google TV. This was a game-changer for the company, which had been built around a mobile-only platform from the ground up. But now they had the ability to compete with other media titans like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and Disney during a pandemic when at-home entertainment consumption was at an all-time high. Though it had faced some turbulence at the time of its launch, it seemed like the future was finally looking up. With all eyes on Quibi, the public wanted to see what would be next in store for this promising newcomer. However, the world never got to find out. Because just two days later, Quibi announced that it was shutting down altogether. Welcome to the story of Quibi, streaming to your mobile devices in April of 2020. Buried under the ground only six months later. I'll be honest, I'd never heard of Quibi until it failed. Because by then, it was hard not to. This was all over the news, and then I started receiving emails and text messages about how I needed to cover this company because it was such a sensational failure. Video streaming services and businesses built on content monetization are daunting propositions. And if you're in the space and know it intimately, you'd understand just how many companies attempt it and almost never make it out alive. Do you remember CISO? Presto or Vidme? Or what about Go90 or Watch Ever? 
Does canal play or vessel ring a bell? Probably not, because they all failed, and not that long ago. And yet the lure of making money off content continues to draw in new players hoping to stake their claim in a $42 billion market. Except in this case, there was a lot more to Quibi than just hope. They had the backing of two major heavy hitters, Jeffrey Katzenberg, former chairman of Walt Disney Studios and co-founder of DreamWorks Animation, and Meg Whitman, former CEO of HP. The duo raised almost $2 billion in funding and had the support of major Hollywood studios, including Disney, NBC Universal, Time Warner, Viacom, and Sony Pictures. To top it off, they also had lots and lots of A-list celebrity clout. For something that had all the right ingredients to succeed, how did it become a recipe for disaster? When Katzenberg and Whitman raised a red curtain on their streaming service at CES in January of 2020, they declared that it would disrupt how short-form content was consumed. In fact, it was designed to be revolutionary for its demographic, which is the younger generation between the ages of 25 and 34. Quibi would cater to short attention spans and fill in the gaps of when they were in between appointments or in transit between locations. So imagine you can watch premium short form videos at five or seven minute clips while waiting for your dentist or online at Starbucks. Cable TV quality that fit into your busy life, essentially. Quibi was touted as quick bites of content. And that's how they came up with their name by taking the first letters of each word from quick bites to Quibi. But there was nothing bite-sized about the power of this undertaking. It was in development for two and a half years prior to Katzenberg and Whitman and recruited some of the major content studios along with a roster of A-list celebrities to make original shows. Big names like Liam Hemsworth and Steven Spielberg, Kevin Hart, Lawrence Fishburne, Ridley Scott, Idris Elba, Anna Kendrick, they all signed on. Here's Ahisa Garcia Hodges, a reporter at NBC News who covered Quibi extensively during their emergence onto the scene. Obviously, the fact that it had Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg behind it, you know, that lent a lot of credence to the endeavor. And then seeing the type of star power they were able to attract, you know, Jennifer Lopez, Steven Spielberg, it ran the gamut of like a who's who of Hollywood, of who was involved in projects or Chrissy Teigen, who had shows, and the content seemed really interesting. The convergence of its star power and proven track record earned Quibi a lot of VC funding. With those factors in place, how could it not? They had several media companies that had taken part in it. They also had VC funding. There was the Katzenberg name, and I think his cachet in Hollywood certainly helped open a lot of doors. And then, you know, Whitman's reputation as a CEO and as a, you know, a powerhouse in the business world certainly, I think, also helped with both venture capital, but also just getting some more legacy companies and backers to support this endeavor. So here was this app that was going to radically transform content consumption. In an interview with Variety... 
Katzenberg was quoted saying that he was so happy that they chose to go their own path and be the first to pioneer this new mobile experience. But what was emphasized was that Quibi's unique proposition would deliver a slew of content from scripted dramas and comedies to news, weather, sports that would be packaged as, quote, daily essentials for its users. Compelling, perhaps, but unique enough to unseat the other big players? Hmm, the jury was still out on that one. But while the investment community might have found the offering hard to turn down, it was certainly a different story in Hollywood. It seemed that in that world, there was already a cloud forming with whispers of doubt becoming more commonplace. Veteran entertainment journalist Kim Masters, an editor-at-large at The Hollywood Reporter, had the best seat in the house to see what was actually ensuing in the closed-knit circles in entertainment. Yes, Katzenberg and Whitman had the backing of the top studios around, but not without a significant caveat. I understood that Jeffrey had initially wanted the whole thing to be supported by the studios and had gone to them with a six-figure ask. I think it initially as much as $500 million each and nobody would bite. And it went down, down, down from there. And... This was a problem because, first of all, he, I think I was told, and he hasn't commented on this to me, that he was hoping to, just that was how he was going to make Quibi happen. And having the studios on board was really important to him to establish that he had access to content and the confidence of the studios. The studios just really resisted. The one he wanted most of all first was Disney, because Disney was such a behemoth in the space. And Bob Iger had no interest and repeatedly turned down this ask and ultimately came in with a kind of very small $25 million investment. And that was offset by a sort of an understanding that Quibi would pay some of that towards, or all, back toward Disney to buy content from Disney. And they did buy content from ESPN. And once Disney did that, other studios fell in line the big ones for 25 each, the smaller, like, you know, the ones that weren't doing as well, Paramount, Sony, 10 million each. I think most are all understanding they would be getting this money back. And of course, that then left him in the position of having to raise money elsewhere. And that's, I think, where the institutional, you know, relationships of Meg Whitman came in. So it, the concept from the first idea of how to finance it to where it ended up was, you know, all Jeffrey ultimately ended up with was bragging rights to having enlisted all the studios as so-called backers. But if you really knew what was going on, they weren't risking much. These bragging rights eventually led to Katzenberg and Whitman raising a phenomenal amount of money. In fact, they pulled in $1.75 billion, mostly from the institutional side, because the secret in Hollywood was that no one believed in the product. Nobody in Hollywood believed in it. I mean, even people who were intimately involved in certain ways with that company genuinely were like, well, whatever, Jeffrey has this passion, Jeffrey is so persistent. And that is truly what people said to me once Quibi finally went down, uh, said it was shutting down, was that one of the reasons you gave Jeffrey even that little 
nothing bit of money compared with what he wanted in the first instance was just to get him off your call sheet because Jeffrey Katzenberg is one of the world's most persistent human beings. And one of the very high-level executives I talked to who had been involved in getting pitched, can we back this Quibi thing, he said that Jeffrey's persistence is maybe a form of genius, (laughs) but the idea itself did not appeal. So what were the ideas and the features that made Quibi as Katzenberg would say, pioneering. And what were some of the red flags that led to its sudden death only six months after it launched? First, while Quibi was leading the charge in premium short-form content, they were also offering a pretty cool feature called the turnstile format. This was a proprietary technology that allowed users the ability to rotate their screens from vertical to horizontal viewing modes in a seamless manner without ever having to buffer or disrupt the program. I'm sure you're all familiar with that and how sometimes it's a bit of a pain point when you're switching views. But was that enough to justify a paid-for subscription? Among the red flags were the fact that one of their big technologies was the ability to kind of seamlessly watch in portrait and landscape mode, right? So you could turn your phone and not lose connection. But when that was debuted as kind of like the big thing that could be had, myself, a lot of people were kind of like, that's it? Like, that's cool, but was it such a pain point for viewers to where we needed that solution as like a key part of the technology behind this platform? And not just that, the signature screen feature was owned by a very well-financed company called Eco that was embroiled in a legal battle with Quibi over the IP. The suit was ongoing during the launch of Quibi, meaning the fledging company was already fighting with this thorn in their side. Second, critics of the service have speculated that Quibi was solving a problem that didn't exist in the market. How often have you heard people say they wish their videos were shorter or that they didn't have time to do anything while they sat and waited at their doctor's office? We've seen this time and time again, but lofty ideas supplant reality. And perhaps in this case, there was no real unique value proposition that Quibi could make other than a delusion that customers wanted a new way to consume media. I think too also, People are pretty good at, even when commuting on the go, et cetera, you know, part of the concept was that it was like a chapter, right, in a book. But there's no, you don't necessarily on a commute finish a book and leave off at a chapter before you need to go, right? So I think people do a good job of kind of moderating their own viewing and and consumption habits, right, and can kind of realize when they need to tap out of something or, or, you know, move on and get off the train or so I think that it was in, they were trying to solve a problem that I don't know that people had really expressed a, a need for. And despite the studios that got involved, the truth was no one cared. <sighs> the view in Hollywood was you're trying to create a product for which no need has been expressed. Like nobody had asked for premium short form video with the subscription. And with regards to their content, despite Quibi investing more than $1 billion to engage Hollywood stars, they failed to produce anything of quality, according to those who signed up for the service. Of course, there was Chrissy's Court, a courtroom reality show in the style of Judge Judy starring Chrissy Teigen, and another show called Dummy, 
which was about Anna Kendrick, an aspiring writer with her boyfriend and her boyfriend's sex doll. And another reality show called Thanks a Million, where major stars like Tracy Morgan, J-Lo, Kristen Bell would give someone in need $100,000, and that person had the chance to either keep it, split it, or give it to someone else, and so on. It was a bizarre mix of content, to say the least. There were good shows on Quibi, but these duds were the ones that stood out. Sure, not everything that Netflix puts out is good, but their flagship productions are typically very well received. So Quibi was charging people $4.99 a month for mediocre content, or $7.99 to get mediocre videos without ads, which really doesn't seem like an attractive overture to potential customers. Why pay for Quibi's lackluster offerings when they could be getting high-quality, full-length content on Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, and then free shareable content on TikTok, YouTube, and Twitch? Which brings us to the next point. Content going viral. Quibi prevented screenshots and sharing clips from its slate of shows and films in order to create an ecosystem within its paying community. But that became a fatal blow to the company because it resulted in dead content. In hindsight, it was a fatal error. We live in the age of viral content, yet Quibi evidently believed that they can simply sidestep the whole content sharing machine, another sign of not understanding its audience. And there's a lot more. But first, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, I probably spend about 60% of my professional life writing. If I'm not researching or on calls, I'm pretty much writing emails, writing proposals, and writing for the scripted show, The Great Fail, which is why I'm so excited about my new friends at Grammarly. They're an AI digital writing tool that helps you with your writing from everyday emails to essays. And they do all the hard work like reviewing your grammar, correcting your spelling, even providing suggestions on replacing your words and phrases. What I love most is that you get to customize features like the tone and formality of the document so that they can help you get it right. Plus, it works across multiple platforms like Outlook, Slack, and Gmail, and on all your favorite apps like Twitter and LinkedIn and other favorite sites. You'll get 20% off when you sign up for Grammarly Premium when you join at Grammarly.com slash TGF. That's 20% off Grammarly Premium at G-R-A 
M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash TGF. Today's episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Counseling. Is there something interfering with your mental wellness or preventing you from achieving your goals? By the way, how are you doing? Seriously, how are you? Because if you haven't noticed, there's a lot going on, and I know I've probably gotten less sleep now than ever before, and I'm here to tell you, it's okay. We all need a little help sometimes. If you're dealing with stress or trauma or relationships, BetterHelp offers online counselors who are trained to listen and help you today. You can connect in a safe, private online environment that's convenient and fast. It's not self-help. It isn't a crisis line. It's a professional counselor at your fingertips. Just fill out a questionnaire specific to your needs and get matched with a counselor within 24 hours. Everything you share is confidential and you can request for a new counselor anytime. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash thegreatfail. Join me and over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health and wellness. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash thegreatfail. The world of cryptocurrency can be a bit daunting, but a lot of people have made money off of it, and some even swear by it. In fact, crypto assets have been one of the best performing assets of 2020 so far. So if you're looking to add Bitcoin to your retirement account or looking to diversify your portfolio, check out BitTrust IRA. BitTrust IRA helps you seamlessly and securely add crypto to your portfolio. And if you're worried about security, they store your private keys in nuclear bunkers with military-grade encryption. They have 24-7 trading platform, no minimum investment, and best of all, they have a team that will guide you through everything. And they also have the lowest trading fees in the industry. For a limited time as a TGF listener, BitTrust IRA is waiving any sign-up fees, which is awesome because they usually charge $50 for that. Go to bittrustira.com slash TGF. That's B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A.com slash TGF. We just heard about Quibi's turnstile feature and not truly understanding their demographic along with their subpar content quality. But there were other warning signs as well. It's no secret that the corporate world doesn't exist without ego. And that's not a bad thing. Having guts and determination to execute is essential. It's a staunch fearlessness to know when to go and when to fold. Over time, however, the confidence around Katzenberg and Whitman began to erode. Perhaps they didn't know their space as well as others thought. But Katzenberg seemed very persistent and was even quoted saying that he knew millennials more than they knew themselves. Quite a bold statement coming from the man who doesn't use social media and still has his assistant print out his emails. Here's Kim Masters again. I think the real issue here is the concept and Jeffrey's absolute certitude about his own concept. I just think he he would not be dissuaded that this was not an idea. And, you know, it, it, the irony of the interview that I did with him on my show was I said to him, the the early reviews for your stuff, they're not so good. And Jeffrey said, well, how how many of those reviewers are millennials? And I felt like, dude, <laughs> you're, you're pushing 70. <laughs> and Jeffrey being the control freak that he is, he was the same guy he had been decades before at Disney, controlling all kinds of stuff about content. So you know, he had a really big blind spot about the idea and the execution. And from what I am told, He was just not listening to anybody. For instance, when others suggested that Quibi should implement a TV viewing option from the start, Katzenberg shut it down without much of a discussion. On the other side of things, 
Whitman publicly said that she wasn't someone who generally consumed video content, which was a little odd for someone trying to launch a video streaming service. So you had these two leaders who didn't understand the market they were playing in while being utterly certain that they knew the right answer to everything. You have to be tapped into the marketplace, even if, you know, maybe it's not your cup of tea to necessarily be monitoring this type of content. You probably should be start consuming it a lot. And, and not to say that she didn't, maybe she did, but you, you definitely should be consuming a lot of it to try to figure out what exactly do people want, do people need, where is, you know, where is Netflix maybe falling short? And I think that if you are going to unveil products during a pandemic, maybe take a beat and and kind of communicate to investors that like look the market has changed we want to you know make sure that when we do launch we can kind of get our footing in the marketplace so we want to kind of push it back a little bit wait measure it out see like you know because something as simple as like the fact that they launched and they were mobile first and only i think you know is something that not to say it would have had a major impact or that it would have gone differently, but it might have led to a little bit more in terms of subscription numbers if it had also had seamless integration on TV. With that in mind, it shouldn't come as a shock that both of them severely miscalculated the subscription projection for Quibi. Early on, they projected it would have more than 7 million subscribers by the end of its first year. But just one month into it, the downloads were very unimpressive, even with the company offering 90-day free trials. It was later reported that after the trial was over, the company only had 500,000 paying subscribers. That's not even a small discrepancy within the margin of error their projections weren't even in the same universe as reality. But there were other blunders, like timing of their overall strategy, which could be reflected by their marketing approach. Quibi had some infamous marketing moments that were aggressive, but also missed the mark. Like a very expensive 30-second Super Bowl ad that came out before the app was even available and their abundant ad time during March Madness that spent more time marketing the app than the content itself and never really nailing down what Quibi was to their audience or what people would be paying for. They had a huge marketing push, right? And they were, they were out promoting this. I believe they were even promoting it at South by Southwest in 2019. So that was like well before, you know, we knew what it was going to be. And I think there was so much buildup And then, you know, again, the people behind it, there was so much anticipation, but I think it kind of fell flat once we realized like what it was. It was like, well, that's great. And maybe it will disrupt, but like, is that a space that's prime for disruption? Much to their dismay, it turns out people actually care about what they were being asked to pay $5 a month for. And then there was the global pandemic. With very low subscription numbers and no stickiness in their content, the company met its ultimate demise only six months after it launched, leading many to scratch their heads because there were certainly other companies that lasted much longer with much less funding. When Quibi first informed the public that they were pulling the plug, Katzenberg told the New York Times that, quote, I attribute everything that has gone wrong to this virus which was a far cry from his sentiment from a few weeks prior when he was on a podcast saying that the coronavirus would have a positive effect on Quibi. I mean, they were going to try and launch during the pandemic. And Jeffrey 
I know they talked about that. They thought about it and they racked their brains about it. And he has made this talking point of we'll never really know if the pandemic did us in or if it was the idea. And I feel like, yeah, the verdict is kind of in on that. And it wasn't the pandemic. I don't know that the pandemic has helped anyone. But to me, a streaming service (laughs) shouldn't be necessarily citing the pandemic as the problem. The other thing is the price point. I mean, I don't think anybody wanted to pay for it. You know, I have a nephew. He is a millennial. He said to me, why would I do that? I talked to a class at Notre Dame and the students were quite well informed because they were like media students and they couldn't understand why anybody would, would do it. Spending money, look at way, the way Netflix built itself. You know, they built, Netflix built itself on old stuff. I mean, yes, they had house of cards and noisy stuff coming out of the gate, but really things like friends, you know, with the repeats that they bought very cheaply because the studios didn't see the value. And then they built themselves to a certain strength on that and started really going for, for the originals, which now you have to have. Quibi is starting from zero. You know, I asked Jeffrey about that in this interview. You have no library to sustain you while you try to figure this out. He should know that better than anybody because he started DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, and DreamWorks made a few promising films and then really fell into difficulty. Jeffrey had to take over and spin off. They had to spin off animation. That went okay for a while, and then Jeffrey had to sell it to NBC Uni. So because DreamWorks didn't have a library, it's nobody has started a studio without a library. Time out of mind. So the idea that you could make this thing go and keep churning out content without anything that guarantees you some kind of income, I just didn't, the whole thing just seemed weirdly ill-conceived. But could they have pivoted? In hindsight, there could have been a better approach during a time when there were stay-at-home mandates everywhere, and we watched as other media companies spiked in viewership. The other thing, too, is launching during the pandemic, and they launched in April when the pandemic was kind of well underway, and and restrictions had already, certainly in San Francisco, but across the country, restrictions were in full swing by that point, right? And so people, a lot of people were already working from home, and so to launch in the midst of that, and, and I know that some investors were found that curious that they still moved forward with the investment, even amid the changing, you know, market conditions. So I think that that was that was an interesting move, and I think maybe in hindsight they should have done that differently and and kind of waited it out a little more because there was really no, you know, aside from the promises maybe that they had made investors, there was really no, um, you know, they could have taken a little more time to kind of figure out the rhythms of the pandemic and then respond and, and launch once we had kind of found our footing as a society. Quibi's whole ethos was centered around consuming content on the go. With people staying home, there really wasn't an option anymore. By then, other rumors were swirling about the discord between Whitman and Katzenberg, which began even before Quibi launched. Whitman found Katzenberg to be a dictator marginalizing her and her authority. She felt belittled. And the sentiment only got worse over time, killing any attempt to rekindle or resuscitate the company. The final days could be best described as pure anarchy. Investors who tendered their investment found out from the media, and not the company, that they would never see their money again. 
Combine that with the announcement of their new TV feature, only to have the whole thing shut down. It painted chaos all around. Here's Aisa Garcia Hodges. But I do think that, you know, the reactions that I had when they, because they got the call with investors saying that, like, we're going to wrap this up, but I think it had even broken before that in the media. And so a lot of them found out through the media that, like, the company was folding. So there was a lack of communication. And I think you kind of saw that too, right, with the rollout, right, where they announced that they were, like, going to have this on. It would be seamless integration with TV devices, streaming devices. And then the next day they closed. So it was kind of like, you know, all of the parts of the company aren't talking to one another, maybe. It's a sign of maybe internal discord. On my call with journalist Kim Masters, she revealed several telling anecdotes, some comical like how Katzenberg had originally wanted to call his company omakase, like a Japanese premium menu marketed to the millennial audience, or that she knew of people who were already preparing to create a documentary, a podcast, a TV series about the failure of Quibi. But here's the kicker, all before the company was even publicly launched. And with that, it begs the question of how, even with this lack of faith, they were still able to raise so much cash. The core problems were simple. They didn't understand their audience. They were unadaptable with their offerings, couldn't articulate their unique proposition, and had subpar content that they assumed people would pay a premium for. Throw all that in within an inflexible executive team, and you have a dangerous mix that left the company hanging by its neck. So what are the lessons for other companies in pursuit of this valuable yet treacherous market? I'd say anybody approaching the space should understand how unbelievably difficult it is. And we are in a moment where the models are changing. There's all this emphasis on streaming. I think studios are overcorrecting going towards streaming because studio like Disney or Universal can't really sustain itself on streaming. It's just not, I don't believe that's a thing that's going to work. Um, it's cluttered. Making noise, breaking out is really hard. I mean, let's just look at Quibi for a second. Did they have a single show that people have heard of? Not really, because there is so much noise and clutter out there that nothing broke through. And that goes to not only the clutter, but the challenge of making truly exceptional content that people feel compelled to see and then tell their friends about. A company that thought they can capitalize on the short attention span of others became the producer of its own short-lived story. And as we see again, well-known executives and boatloads of cash don't always provide a winning formula. And that, my friends, concludes our quick bite on the fastest demise in great fail history. Special thanks to Kim Masters from The Hollywood Reporter and Aisa Garcia Hodges with NBC News for contributing to this episode and sharing their insightful research and honest commentary on Quibi. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail, 
please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind the scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.